Welcome to the podcast from heartache to healing and hope. Season two, weathering the storm, cultivating kindness. And I'm your host, Bernadette Winters-Bell. Hi, Bernadette Winters-Bell here from heartache to healing and hope. And have a great podcast going to be launched right around the corner with Corey Rowe. He's the founder and creative director of Otsego Media. It is such an interesting organization. And beyond that, he's talking about affective seasonal disorder, which a lot of people suffer from. Winters get to be long or summers or fall. Mostly it's winter for people. And we're gonna talk about that. I know it's April and it's spring on the calendar, but I live in upstate New York. So many of you might be in situations like this where it says it's spring, but not every day feels like that. And maybe your seasonal disorder that you have is for a different season. So let's let's listen to Corey and learn because he's been dealing with it a long time and really has found some great ways to deal with it. Great conversation. Bernadette Winters Bell from Heartache to Healing and Hope. See you soon. Today is in an inaugural uh, podcast that we're doing in person. Well, the pandemic took us to Zoom, and now we can go to here. So please welcome my guest, Corey Rowe. Welcome, Corey. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm going to guess that of the two of us, you know yourself the best. That's a big leap on my part, huh? <laughs> it's, a, it's a fair assumption. No, I, I would go that way. So would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Hi, my name is Corey Rowe. Uh, I am the owner of Otsego Media here in the city of Oneonta in the great state of New York. I'm a military veteran, a husband, a father, uh, and a business owner. Terrific. Wonderful. <sighs> This is exciting. This is nice. <laughs> this is terrific. I haven't had a conversation with a person in a while, it feels like. So this well, is a, a nice, nice change. Well, we got two talkers here, so we're good. All right. Yes. So, um, during the pandemic, I came to understand that during World War One, after the war was over, uh, because people didn't have the means of communication that we do now, they would see former or neighbors and family and ask, how their war was. Mm -hmm. So I say, Corey, how has your pandemic been? It's been challenging, yeah. for sure. I mean, it, it's uh, it's consistent, and and every time we think that we kind of got over it, and that we're like, oh, this is the perfect time. Let's right. let's get back to work, and then sure enough, then another variant comes out or something changes, and then it just continues to drag on. And so the hope for it to end quickly is far diminished. Yes. And now we're just you know digging in. And we're in for the long haul. For sure. So how, let's start with uh, professionally. What were you doing when the pandemic hit? Uh, when the pandemic hit, I was establishing a business, which was about the worst thing that you could be doing at the beginning of the pandemic. And so was it a restaurant? It was not. No, okay, but so it that's was, <laughs> it was a, a video production company. Mm -hmm. um, and and as you all know, everything moved away from video production to Zoom production. Right. And so there was still a lot of video going on, but it became self-operated which removed us from the equation, which was challenging. Uh, and so we had to kind of realign ourselves and make new projects that were going to work within the new landscape. 
And that's what we did. We had to adjust it here and keep moving forward. And what did you do in that adjustment period? We decided to film our own first narrative. Um, and so since we didn't have any work coming in, not only did I work pro bono for the YMCA and make videos for local businesses, but my best friend and I achieved a lifelong goal of creating our first narrative film. And so because we were in the pandemic, every Monday we had a writing day. Mm -hmm. And he would come over, we'd make a pot of coffee, and you know we would sit there and we would write. And we did it through the entire winter. Um, and then at the end, right, uh, as things were really starting to get pretty bad, um, you know, we had a completed script. And so we were sitting there, not really sure what to do with it. And then, you know, New York was going through that first initial wave of the pandemic where everything was really bad and everyone was really scared. But then the summer after that first wave, upstate New York was a beautiful place to be. It was safe. Everybody... We were in this little bubble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so we actually took that script and shot it and produced it and hired a bunch of actors and crew. And we made our first narrative film, which is called Asteroid, which is available today on VOD services like Amazon and Tubi and Roku and all that different stuff. And since then, we've been able to go back to our business videos that we normally do that pay the bills. Uh -huh. But then also, we've been able to dip back into other narrative films that we've been hired to make because of Asteroid. So, you know, the silver lining in it is that we were able to do something we always wanted to do. And now we're doing it more often and we're getting paid for it. You see, you never know how these things are going to go. Right. You know, I talk about... Uh, from my work in life and loss and grief, uh, there's gifts of the dying and gifts of the bereaved, which, by the way, nobody wants. <laughs> These aren't things you can send back to Amazon if you don't like right. it. Um, but through very difficult times, there's gifts of the pandemic. And that doesn't take away from the people that lost loved ones or their jobs or are couples with children in school and everybody's struggling to try to figure it all out. But there are a silver lining through all of this because, you know, I say I used to be flexible. I'm up to fluid now. And we all kind of have to learn <laughs> right. that. You know, like how do we push water uphill without a hose, mm -hmm. you know? And somehow we figured it out. We had days that we thought, oh, this will never work. And it didn't work that day, perhaps. But by the next day or the next week, a month, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe try this or try this. And we were allowed, well, forced, <laughs> you can pick your verb how you're feeling, um, to try new things because we had to. Mm -hmm. you know, And that, that opens up an opportunity to be more spontaneous, perhaps, or really think outside the box. For sure. Know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my life, I've had to, uh, as I've said, ebb and flow through a number of different challenges. Right. But I think all of those challenges make us more resilient in, yeah. our, in our human experience, and they you know, get us ready to deal with new things that we weren't expecting before. And they, you know, they always say it's, uh, it's darkest before the dawn. Uh, and so whatever it is, get through it, and the sun will come up again. Absolutely. Well, I was saying to someone I was interviewing from Chicago a number of months ago um, that we don't really learn the big lessons in life sitting on the beach drinking Mai Tais. It would be great, but that's not how right, we learn them. Course. And he thought that was an excellent business model, however. So we have plans to go to Hawaii, sit on the beach, drink Mai Tais, and think of ways that we can get profound wisdom Listen, it'll be a great experience. Sign me up. I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll be there. I, I think you just need to add some philosophy books to it or something like we'll that. Here. Yeah, here we go. We'll, we'll all just chat. Right, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So, wonderful. So, personally, how has it been for you during the pandemic? Uh, it's a challenge, for sure. Um, I'm somebody that's 
I don't want to say suffers from, but I, you know, as a veteran of the military, I served in two tours overseas, so I have post-traumatic stress disorder, seasonal affectiveness disorder, a little dyslexia, maybe some ADHD, a little, a little bit of everything. Keep throwing things Just, in, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over the map. And so for me, it's, uh, it's been challenging uh, for a lot of different ways because it's been different than my life was normally. Prior to the pandemic, I was largely on my own um, at home. I worked from home. Mm -hmm. My wife and kids would go out during the day, and then I would work from home, clean the home. Everything would be where it needs to be. Drink my coffee, sit at my desk. Everything's great. Then the pandemic hit, and the wife and kids are home all the time. The house is destroyed all the time. And um, that whole me working from home thing just became non-existent. And so I actually had to get an office outside the house because I wasn't able to focus. You went the opposite way. I did. Most I, people came yeah, in. And you I was like, no, I've already been home for so many years. And so I rented an office on Main Street that was open because everything's open because nobody's can fill uh, rents right. anymore. Um, and, I, and also, I don't have internet at my house because I live out in the woods. And so, you know... But again, turning it into a positive. I now have an office space where I can work, uh, where I have good internet. My family comes and hangs out with me when they have time to do so. We have lunches and stuff there. And it's given my business uh, a certain amount of legitimacy that I didn't have before because I was working from home. Right. And having that office space is huge for clients to be able to come and, and visit and, and conference. Well, they think you're like a real professional. Right, yeah. Like, like something changed between the yesterday and today. But So the pandemic has been, uh, you know challenging but at the same time my life has been filled with challenges and so for me it's been the greatest gift is just kind of watching everybody else deal with this these struggles and seeing them grow personally through it because i understand that trauma leads to a better and stronger human experience in my opinion so i i'm happy that bad things happen once in a while because it all it helps everybody become a little bit stronger and then we have a lot of challenges to overcome as a human race and i think by pushing us through this pandemic it's getting us ready to make those changes, hopefully. You know, I, I agree with most of that. <laughs> Not your opinion, because you're allowed to have any opinion you want. Um, but I think that we get through um, traumas, challenges, and come out better if we do the emotional work for sure. I, I, I will have to clarify that by saying I spent a lot of years in therapy, so I have the tools. Oh, well, welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah, I have the tools to, to deal with those things, and I have, you know, I've been educated on how to read my mind and, and to understand the things that are going on with it and to battle myself in my own creative processes and the way that I think about things because we know largely they're not always correct, uh, and often we think about things incorrectly. And then to challenge yourself in the way that you think about things is a huge step, and so I... Yeah, I think that's beneficial. I think anybody should be in therapy, though. I mean, it's, it's so helpful. Write this stuff down. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was speaking with someone recently and talking about that we don't think, usually, that we have control over our minds, which is kind of what you're speaking of. And so my, my way to describe it is, if you were driving here, say on I-88, which is a major thoroughfare here, and decided that you were hungry, you would pull over on I-88, stop on there. Go to the car, because there's some power bars there, and have a power bar. Of course, you wouldn't do that. And then you would think, gee, I have to go to the bathroom, so you get the Maxwell House can out of the trunk. Mm -hmm. Right. Of course not. What you would think is, when I get to Bernadette's office and park, let me go right in and get something to eat, go to the bathroom when I get in. Mm -hmm. So we know how to physically take what is imminent, and put a little pause on it and take care of it. Mm -hmm. We're not taught, as best I 
have spoken to a lot of people how to do that mentally. We spoke before of I wanted everyone to have a pause button, which is kind of what led me to this theory, that we should be able, oh, I should, I don't like should, sorry. Um, we want to have the ability to have control over our mind in a good way. So one of the things that I talk about, and you might have learned this in therapy, is if you're going through that loop where you're thinking, obsessing actually, mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and we feel like we have no control over our mind. Well, when you got in that car, in my little scenario, to come here, and you put the keys in the car, you might say to yourself, I'll be there in 27 minutes, that's how long it takes. And in essence, you're saying to your mind, you got 27 minutes, do whatever you want. <laughs> I know where I'm going. Run amok, go for it. And when you get here, you turn the key off and you go, okay, let me go get that power bar, get inside, and everything. And so our mind then goes to something else and focuses. Mm -hmm. So while we're focused on what we're doing, our mind is doing what we want it to do, what we're giving it instructions. But when it's downtime, it just runs amok. Who does it? I know, right? I love that word. So when we go to lay down to go to sleep at night, which is a problem a lot of people have, so physically they're tired, but they lay down and their body goes, Woo! Time to get busy! <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so in essence, I think of it as we're saying to our minds, you know what, all right, think about whatever you want. Oh, you, you want to think till 3 in the morning? Sure, go for it. You know? Because we give up control, saying, I can't control this. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can. hundred percent. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what all the self-help, you know, as I've kind of gone through this pandemic and as I've gone through the different disorders that I've had to challenge in my life, then that I talked about tools, it comes down to four basic things that I try to do every day, which are exercise, meditate, walk in nature without my phone, and read. Um, and you go somewhere without your phone? I do. I very much try to. Well, we got to write this down, it's, too. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very difficult. I can feel it. I check for it. But I do try to leave it behind because immediately you, your brain, on that addictive nature, goes, yes. oh, yeah, let me check for messages. I know my phone didn't make any noise, but let me check just to make sure. Um, and so because I, we think we're, we've been tricked. Mm -hmm. The research shows that we might have missed something. So we right. have to go and and keep, check keep checking. Keep right, checking. Right. So for me, I, I try to do those activities every day to help kind of keep the tide at bay um, and to keep yes. control of my own mind, yes. as you mentioned. Yes. Because that, that never-ending cycle that mm -hmm. happens, I can only stop that with meditation. Um, I know that if by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I've been spinning all day, I've been right. figuring out problems, and I've been working on projects, and my brain's thinking about all those things from before, during, and after, and I just need to quiet it down so that I can rest and relax. And meditation has just been the greatest asset for me. And so during the pandemic, one of those huge benefits that have come from it is an application that I have on my phone called Headspace. And I pay for it, but it's absolutely worth it to have endless amounts of guidance ready to go uh, for every subject that you could deal with right, right at your fingertips. Um, and, and really springboarding off of that, not only with that application, but we truly have all of human knowledge in our pocket. And so if you're dealing with some of those kind of things, I feel like it behooves us as humans to just take out that thing that we carry around all the time anyway and type in how do I deal with mental anxiety. You mean not just how to scroll through Facebook? Not how to just How to send something on Snapchat? People. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, it's... Is what we choose to do, in my opinion. And so I struggle 
and everybody else struggles, but I'm not beating myself up about it. I'm using it as a foundation to continuously build forward and, and move up in my life. Because if I don't, then what am I going to do? Just sit on the couch and play video games until I'm 70? I think I've met that person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really interesting, uh, all this wonderful work that you've done. Uh, you're probably one of the first people, actually, that I've ever talked to that have done the work and can have this talk. And I think that what perhaps isn't known there as much as I'd like it to get out there is that when we have this obsessive in this loop that we're thinking of um, and we can't seem to quiet it, when we meditate, pray, recite a poem, deep breathe, many things in, in those genres, we can't obsess. Neurologically, we can't obsess, which is the reason that those things work. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking before that, when you're focused on something like work, your brain isn't quiet, but it's not going off track. Mm -hmm. you're, we're working. You might be thinking about different things. It, it's where you need it to be. It's when we don't have something specific to focus on, which is what the walk in nature does. Mm -hmm without saying, I'm going to look at trees and leaves. <laughs> right, right, no. You know there's a, um, I think it's considered a park in Japan that you walk through, there's no talking, and, and you go through barefoot. I'm pointing to my feet like you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and it's finding a way to ground yourself yeah, and be in touch with nature. Walking, oh. walking barefoot grounds your energy, they say, right. and it's so helpful. I mean, especially in summertime when there's not snow on the ground and you yes. can walk around barefoot, I try to often take off my socks and shoes and walk through the grass barefoot. I mean, even after getting off of a plane on a long trip and getting into the hotel room, taking off your socks and shoes and grinding your toes into the carpet of the hotel room can be very helpful for dealing with the stress and anxiety that you deal with in your everyday life. You know, this just caused me to have a memory I haven't thought of in a couple of years. Um, when I was starting my private practice, I was still working at a hospice, so I was working about 70 hours a week. And I'd work during the day at hospice and come here um, to my private office, and for at least a year, the first thing I would do is take off my shoes or socks, what I had on, and wash my feet. Now, I can't really say they were filthy every day. They were. Um, but I had a little bath, a foot bath I used, or we had a shower here um, that I would do it. And then put on slippers that I kept in the office, and that's the only time that I wore them. Mm -hmm. And then I was prepared to do therapy. Mm -hmm. So it was my way of transitioning mm -hmm. from doing hospice work, put that aside, and come and do here. And I didn't plan it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't even know why I first did it, but I just started doing it, and it became a ritual very quickly. Yep. But it was a lovely way to ground myself. Um, and when I moved into this particular office, for no reason that I had a conscious thought about, I've never had to do it again. Well, Although, now that I'm talking about it, I remember how nice it felt. <laughs> right, yeah. Clean feet are nice. Clean feet are And that was probably transitioning from the hospice, which was emotionally stressful, into something that wasn't nearly as emotionally stressful. Do you know they both are... Um, cause a lot of me to come, but it was my way to end one set of work and put it aside and then be prepared. Mm -hmm. And be present in the next one. Exactly. Very much. Being exactly. present, that's something I, I struggle with very much so. Mm. I mean, it's something I'm working through in meditation right now, but you know, we do these actions every day so much 
sitting in a chair. How often do you think about sitting down, right? You never do. You just sit down. It's just an action. But me, uh, I'm, I've had to notice that I'm never mindful. I'm never in the moment. I'm always somewhere else. And so being mindful and being in the present and, and doing that has been very helpful to, to keep me grounded. Grounded, And one of the greatest tools that I've learned from meditation. And so it's just, it's awesome that, that all that stuff is out there. And I do wish that people learned more about it. Oh, for um, sure. But, but it, it, because you don't, the thing is you don't come to those conclusions or those places for help without dramatic trauma beforehand because everything's great, <laughs> you know? In lies, you don't learn it sitting on the beach. Drinking, with yeah. Mai Tais, right. We have some sort of trauma loss um, situation that allows us, forces us, again, pick your verb, um, to re-examine who we are. I call them profound losses mm -hmm. um, because they really uproot us, kind of pull the rug out from under us and drop us down, and, and say, wait a minute, what am I doing in this life? What is, and causes us to get off that gerbil wheel and say, okay, wait a minute, maybe this isn't how I want to have my life be. And life is short, and there's always something that teaches us that, and that, is this how I want to go through life? Mm -hmm. All right, if it is, watching video games till I'm seven, <laughs> I didn't play when I was younger, so I don't have that coordination, but is that how you want to conduct yourself? Right. That's what those kinds of situations like the PTSD or the sad disorder, sure, mm -hmm. sure. It causes you to say, really? Is this how I want to do that? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and just with the loss, like you said, I've lost so many friends over the years from the military mm -hmm. and into the opiate epidemic, you right. know, which preceded this, and, and then now into the pandemic and suicides and things of that nature. And so there's always loss, and that at this point, it's just a constant reminder to live the best life. And, you know, me, I personally struggle with the grass is only, always greener. Like, I, you know, I, I got a business and I want to do that, but I'm like, oh, now I'm working all the time and I don't have any time for myself. And so I'm like, oh, I wish I wasn't doing all this. And then I wish I was uh, just exercising at the gym every day and listening to music. And then you do that and then you feel unfulfilled because you're not accomplishing anything. And so then you go out and try to make a movie and then you do that and become indebted for the amount of money you spend. And then you have to deal with that. And so life... Life takes you in all those different directions, but it's all experiences, and it's all better than sitting there staring out the window, in my opinion. So that I can help you a little bit with that. So I'm older than you, so I've, I've been around a lot longer, and one of the things that I learned that's the most important, it was for me and for a lot of people, is the balance mm -hmm. between all of that. So when you say, I'm going out to, to make this movie, part of mindfulness to me is saying, okay, I might not be as present, say, for my family or for my own time to work out. But I'm going to make sure I get in every day drinking enough water, staying hydrated, and meditating. Mm -hmm. And this project will take four months, let's say. Um, and so then when you're done, and you're wrapping it up, and then you can take the step back and say, okay, all right, I've, I've done that now. Now maybe I'm in the editing process, but I have more time. Mm -hmm. Now I can take a step back and I can be more with my family. Mm -hmm. It takes away that I should be here, I should be, I'm at work, I want to be home. I'm home, I want to be, right, mm -hmm. right. So you're, you're allowing yourself to be in the moment, but in the project that you're in, in the time frame that you're in, without the guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, for me then is just trying to, when I'm in those moments and I, I get obsessive, I cannot 
focus on anything else until I complete that project. Exactly. And the, and I but it's exactly that. It's normally you know movies are shot in as quick as fifteen days, and though for those fifteen days it is. 24 hours a day, right. you know, and, and right. the family's not, and they're pissed because you're not home and you're not cleaning the house, you're right. not helping with the kids, and but you, this is the only way to achieve the thing that you're working on is to give yourself 100% to it, and, and after a while now, that I've been doing this for a while, my family's been with me, and they're like, all right, we understand, it's a movie, we won't see you for a few weeks, but we'll see you afterwards, and exactly. then you make up for it. And, and so, just as the family has adjusted, so can our minds and bodies and spirits if we say to it, all right, we're making a movie. Mm -hmm. I'll see you at the end of February. Right, yeah. <laughs> and respecting what you do is huge as well, I think. Oh, if you don't respect sure. what you're actually working on and, and it's not going to a place that you want it to be, then that just creates more stress on top of it and then the back and forth between all that. So, yeah, but it's a, but the nice thing about my industry is it's always changing. So mm -hmm. you do a movie today, you do a video next week, you do a concert, you travel, uh, you get around, you see different things, you're introduced mm -hmm. to fun ideas. Um, and so it is, it's always something different. And um, yeah, that's probably works into my, my nature, my bipolar nature. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that a little bit comes from this area and the seasons that we deal with is mm -hmm. always changing. So yes. you know, I was raised in this town in a place where the weather, weather changes dramatically every three months. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of lends itself to who I am as a person is I'm always looking for a change in what I'm doing every, you know, every few months. Uh, and it changes my energy, it changes my focus, and it changes all that different stuff. So You know, years ago, many years ago, I remember that uh, what families would do, usually the women, um, is say when it became fall, uh, they would bring out the scatter rugs and the curtains would come down or be covered with drapes. And so they prepared the household for fall and winter. Mm -hmm. At, when they did spring cleaning, the drapes came down and the rugs got rolled up well, actually, the first thing I got put out on the line, they had rug beaters, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then put them away, and maybe slip covers, lightweight, went on. And I can remember my one of my aunts doing this all the time, you know. Now that's not something that you see happening. Best I know, most people these days, mm -hmm. they decorate until they get tired of something, and then they do it. But it had a real purpose to not only prepare the household, but prepare us that we're living in it. You know, and so as you talk about changing for the different seasons, I think that's so important. You know, it's it's bigger than all right. Let's clean out the mudroom because we've got to get the boots out and the hats and the the gloves and everything like that. But we're preparing our families ourselves for we're going to be going through something different now. Mm -hmm. You know, and let's get moving on this. You know, I have found that um, in helping people with losses, that the change of the seasons is almost always terribly difficult. Oh, really? And I would think the opposite. I would think that would be helpful to them. And it's not. Yeah. So let's assume that someone is going from a season that they hate to one that they love. Mm -hmm. So it's not always summer's left behind and thinking about winter. It's that they have sort of figured out how to grieve in summer, let's say. What does my life look like here? How do I deal with PTSD in summer? Mm -hmm. And then we get clues that autumn is coming. Uh, whether it's the chilling, the snap in the air, or whatever it might be. People come in here and they're cranky. <laughs> 
And it's not because they don't like autumn or apples or anything like that. Now they know they have to change and adjust yet again to another season. Mm -hmm. So if we're not excited about the change of seasons and thinking, oh, this will be good. Mm -hmm. No, they're like, I have to do this again. Yeah. And when we talk about it, they're almost always not aware of it. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't think they really believe me. Um, until they go home and think about it and then come back to it. Mm -hmm. But it's about getting adjusted to something and then finding out, I have to do it again. Yeah. It's like with your children. Um, I'm sure you've had the experience where you've figured out at some particular age that they're at or developmental stage, okay, we know how to do this. We know how to parent well, that doesn't stay still for very long. Then the damn kids change. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> as soon as you figure it out, then they change. Yes. And that's usually what's very difficult for human nature to do. So in all the work that you're doing, whether it's personally or professionally, I have found that there's a lack of kindness to ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. um, I know someone that went into a local store and said to the young lady behind the counter, good afternoon, how are you? And she said, what'd you say? <laughs> so of course she was obviously ready to jump. Um, because we're used to people being so tired of the pandemic and not knowing how to deal with this. Because this is the first time we've had to deal with these generations. Because most of us weren't here through, say, World War II or the Korean War or things mm -hmm. like that. So. Would you say that you've been mindful of kindness in your life, and how have you kept it there? For sure. Um, number one thing with kindness with me is I have to be kind to myself. I speak Whoa. to myself so much worse than I would ever speak to another human being. Um, and this is not only something, obviously, that I deal with, right. but my, everybody deals with this. So I work recently on affirmations. Mm -hmm. I try to look in the mirror and tell myself that I'm a good person, that I'm working on things that matter, and that I should respect myself because... I am a good person who has good intention and I'm not doing anything that's negative in you any know, way. It's so hard to lie to yourself looking in the mirror. It is. Right? Yeah. Like you when you walk past it, you like look out of the corner of your eye, like, is that is that me over there? I don't want to look at that. <laughs> My son was younger, um, and we'd be in the middle of a discussion, okay, a fight. Um, and I'd say timeout. I'm in timeout. And I'd take myself to the bathroom because it was one place he wouldn't follow me. Mm -hmm. And I would look in the mirror and say, Bernadette, one of you has to be grown up about it. And apparently it's going to be you. <laughs> and that would calm me down, get me from whatever level I was at, like, and put cold water yeah. on the pulse points. But I needed to look in the mirror and say, hey, girl, <laughs> let's get this under control. Right. You know? And there was no quicker way to do it than looking in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a great one with the affirmations. Sure. But to the larger conversation about kindness, I think right now we're determining if human nature can survive mass communication. That's what it feels like to me, is we have yes. been introduced to mass communication and we are not dealing with it well. And kindness is kind of right up there with accuracy and truth, um, which has been thrown out with the bathwater right. at this point. And again, as I said earlier, I think it's darkest before the dawn. And I believe and I hope that what we're transitioning through right now is the end of winter in some way. And what I ask people to think about is how will the future generations communicate? How will the people of the 23rd century communicate 
to each other. And I'm not talking about with the iPhone 600. I'm talking about the content in which they're transmitting. How will we communicate amongst each other as humans? Will we do it accurately, kindly, um, with, with just good intentions? Or will we continue to throw truth out the door and focus on our own individualistic lives based on a social media scroll that matters to no one? I think, I think we're at a moment, uh, an event horizon, if you will, where we cannot go back and we can only go forward. And as how we go forward matters greatly. And I think kindness and truth are the biggest terminology that we can associate with that future. I think you're so right. You know, when the world went through, uh, went from an agricultural world to industrial, you know, there were many difficulties and terrible working conditions. And this is a similar type of huge transition like that. And so when people really learn that it doesn't matter if we're face to face or on a phone screen or any other kindness, truthfulness is as important as any other thing besides the facts that we believe that we're conveying. Mm -hmm. And we, and we don't, we can't hide behind because I don't see you face to face so I can say whatever I want. Mm -hmm. If I wouldn't say it here, well, as my grandmother used to say, shut my mouth wide open <laughs> <laughs> because then it's not worth saying. So I think that's such an important point. For sure. Well, this has been a fascinating